Last week, uh, we talked about the goodness of God in our pain and in our loss and how his goodness looks like grace and power uh, to see us through. And if you missed that last week, I would encourage you to get online, riverwaychurch.com, watch that back and catch up with us. But we opened up last week in this series with this question, is God really good all of the time? <clears throat> is he really good all the time? And we read about this, Psalm 119, 68, speaking of God, says, you are good, and what you do is good. He is a good God, but then the question comes, as we talked about last week, what about in our pain and loss, is he still good then? And today I want to ask this question about what about in our failures, is he still good then? What about in the sinful messes we make, is he still for us? Is he still good? I can remember I was about 12 years old, and uh, we only lived about six blocks or so from a gas station convenience store, and I was riding my bike up there, and I'd gone to the gas station, and I was thinking about, you know, some treats, and I realized that I had forgotten my money at home, and there had been a few of my friends that had said, you know, about, they told me about the five-finger discount. Maybe you've heard about that, you know, where you just steal it instead of paying for it, and so here I am in the candy aisle, and I'm trying to determine between right and wrong and good and evil, and yet that Snickers bar is staring at me in the face. I'm 12 years old. I'm alone, and I'm thinking, what do I do in this moment? And I know some of you are going to be extremely disappointed in me. I took that, I looked around, I took that candy bar, slipped it in my pocket, and I went out the door. And I got on my bike, and I was like, I mean, flying, because I just thought, you know, if there's going to be squad cars chasing me, I got to get, a, you know, I got to get a good lead on them. Uh, <clears throat> and I had such guilt the entire way home. And when I ate that candy bar, I couldn't even enjoy it because of how much guilt I felt. I thought for sure my life was going to be over. I thought for sure I'd be facing hard time, prison time, and it was all going to be over. Um, you know, that's a silly and simple illustration of sin, but what about something more drastic? You know, in the first century, when we read about some of these stories, if you were caught stealing, oftentimes your hand would be cut right off. Could you imagine that? That's pretty gruesome. Or in the story that we're about to read, what if you were caught in adultery in the first century? The punishment was death and death by stoning. And there's a woman in the middle of this all that unpacks this idea of God's goodness even in our sin and even in our failures. And we pick this story up in the book of John, chapter 8. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Otherwise, you can follow along on the screen. John 8, verse 2, it begins. It says, At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. So imagine, Jesus has once again gathered a crowd around him. And so this is not like a one-on-one -on -one Thing. This is Jesus with a lot of people, and it says the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, those are the religious leaders of this time, brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before this group of people and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery, and in the law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman now, what do you say? You see, they were using this question as a trap. 
in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And so I can just imagine this scene unfolding. If you're a person in the crowd, you're absolutely shocked that this is kind of happening in real time right in front of you. And maybe half of this crowd knew this woman. And here they bring her in public way and say, Jesus, we're supposed to stone her, but what do you say? We want, we want to know what you have to say. They were trying to pretend like they were trying to judge the woman, but their real motive was to judge Jesus in this moment. Would he follow the Mosaic law and allow the stoning to take place? Or would he ignore the law and pardon her? See, your first fill in, the religious leaders knew that Jesus was bringing a revolution of mercy and forgiveness, and they didn't like it. They didn't like the commotion that Jesus was stirring up. This idea of grace and forgiveness and mercy it wasn't the law that they wanted to have. They liked all of their hoops. They wanted people to have to jump through those things. They wanted people to have to earn their forgiveness and earn their way back to God. And Because Jesus was shaking up their religious system, they wanted to find a way to accuse him and to kill him. And this was one of those moments. They wanted to see how he would respond. Because if he absolves the woman caught in adultery of any wrongdoing it will be said that he ignored the law of Moses. But if he condemns her, it will be said that he's inconsistent with his message of mercy towards sinners. So what would you do if you were Jesus? You can almost feel the tension in the crowd as this is unfolding before them, and they're all waiting for Jesus to respond, and instead of responding, he kneels down and just starts drawing in the dirt, you know? I just think, wow, that's pretty fantastic, you know? You're gonna have to wait for my response. I've got some writing to do here in the dirt. And the bigger question, how could the goodness, or how would the goodness of God shine through this mess? And then Jesus does something that nobody expects. Verse 7, when they kept on questioning him, because they saw him in the dirt, and they just kind of kept on, kept on, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. So Jesus actually turns the tables back on them and says, you're right, she was caught in adultery, but for any of you who is without sin, you've never sinned, you'd be the first one to throw the stone. You see your next fill, and Jesus gave an opportunity for each person to look at themselves in regards to their own sin and what they will do with it. causes them all to pause. And instead of thinking of this woman's sin, now instantly they're all thinking of their own sin. It's such a powerful moment. I mean, it just sucks the air right out of this accusation. And verse 9, it says, At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. 
And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one threw a stone? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. And in that moment, he's just forgiven her and released her from her wrongdoing. And a great question for us, even 2,000 years later, is who else can do that for you? Who else can release you of your wrongdoing, forgive you, and set you on a new path? Now, I know there's some of you immediately, when you hear this story, you immediately think, well, doesn't Jesus care about sin then? And does this mean that we have a license to do anything we want since we've all made mistakes? And if Jesus is going to forgive us, then let's just live any way we want. And here's the amazing thing about Jesus, your next feeling, that Jesus cared about the law and mercy equally. And he knew the law better than any of the accusers. See, even Jesus himself said that he is full of grace and full of truth, both equally. The law and mercy, Jesus was both of them. And Jesus knew in the law that there had to be two or more witnesses to the sin, which there was no mention of, that she had just been caught in the act. He also knew that... uh, even if there were two or more witnesses, that both the woman and the man would have to be brought together and both face death. And the question was, where was the man? They only brought the woman. Why is that? You see, Jesus knew the motive of their hearts in this accusation. He knew it was to use this woman who had sinned to try and trap Jesus and prove that law and mercy could not coexist that truth and grace could not coexist. And Jesus, in all of his wisdom, said those words that made the accusers turn away in verse 7. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, are we thinking that the Pharisees are so soft that Jesus said, hey, because we've all sinned, let's just drop our stones and walk away. No, they're not. It was the fact that Jesus knew that those accusing had also committed the very same sin of adultery in their minds or in their hearts, and quite possibly one of them could have been the other person involved in this act. And their hearts were pricked Because as these men stood there, he knew they had all lusted after women. Their hearts were pricked with their own guilt. And it was when they realized that that they walked away, each realizing that they too deserved to die for their own sin. And then Jesus asked this technically legal question to the woman. When he said, woman, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And this is actually a, a lawful question because if there's no one here to accuse you, then no stoning can take place. He says, where are your accusers? Oh, they're gone. 
could, then no one is left here to stone you, and I won't condemn you either. You see, Jesus, your next villain, Jesus wasn't being tolerant with sin, but rather removed the sin and gave her a brand new start. He removed the sin and gave her a brand new start. The fourth century theologian, St. Augustine, he was commenting on John's gospel in this, in this passage, and he noted, he said, the Lord in his response neither failed to respect the law nor departed from his meekness. He did both. And Jesus sets this woman free with forgiveness, the same forgiveness that you and I need, don't we? But the truth is, maybe like this woman, and maybe in a different situation, maybe different sin, but many of us, your next villain, have allowed our sin to hold us back from a future with God because we thought his goodness couldn't reach us. Have you ever felt that way? That when you've looked at the gravity of the choices you've made and the comments you made and stealing the candy bar, lying to your spouse, whatever it might be, have you ever thought there's no way that the goodness of God could reach this? This might be good enough for other people, but certainly not for me. And many of us, we've walked around with the weight of sin that has kept us stuck in our story. We've thought that our past has to determine our future and that this is the end of your story. Whether you like it or not, nothing could change. And so you just keep on sinning because what other alternative do you have? You feel like you could never truly be set free and never truly forgiven and carry the guilt of it, and so you might as well just keep going. We think to ourselves, there's no way that God would or could really forgive my past. There's too much. It's too great. It's too obvious. It's too repetitive. It's too damaging. The goodness of God can't reach me. But what if I told you that God was good to us in spite of our sin? Would that change anything for you? See, God's goodness, your next villain, God's goodness isn't determined by our behavior, but by the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. That's where everything was taken care of. Our behavior alone does not determine the love and goodness of God in our lives. It's who he is. And if God wasn't serious about forgiving us and extending mercy and grace to us, if he wasn't serious about his goodness meeting us, even in our lowest point, he would have never sent his son to die. He would have never done it. Psalm 86.5 says, you, Lord, are forgiving and, what's that word? Good. Abounding in love to all who call on you. He is forgiving and good. Which means in spite of our sin that he forgives, he is also good. 2 Timothy 2.13 
If we are faithless, he must remain faithless, right? Of course, that's how it works, right? It's give and take. No, no, what does it say? Even if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. What does it mean to disown himself? It means that his character and his love and his faithfulness to us is who he is. It's in his DNA. He is love. He can't be anything else. And he can't go back on his character and who he is no matter what you've done. God says, I'm willing to take this sin from you and give you a brand new beginning, a new chapter for your story, a new story of redemption. And it's exactly what he did with this woman who's standing there facing all of these people. And one by one, they drop their stones and they walk away. He says, I don't condemn you. But then he says one more thing that begins a brand new chapter in her story and invites her into this place that doesn't have to be the same invites her into this chapter that could be different in her life. Verse 11, Jesus said to her, now go and leave your life of sin. He says, I've forgiven you and I'm not condemning you, but here's how you start a brand new chapter. Don't live the same way you used to. Don't make the same choices that you used to. Don't hang with the same people that you used to. Don't justify before what you justified. No, no, no. Go and sin no more. Leave your life of sin and live into something brand new. You don't have to live with that baggage anymore. You can change your direction. You can change the rest of your story. Now that I've forgiven you and shown you mercy, you can have a brand new start. And I don't know about you, but when I read this story, it fills me with such confidence that we have a heavenly father who wants to show us goodness even in spite of our sin. That's amazing. In spite of your worst day, the sin you haven't talked about or told to anyone, God has seen it. And his mercy and his grace are big enough to cover it. And he would say to us, receive my goodness even in this and leave your life of sin. So let me ask you, has there been a sin that you feel like has so defined you that it's been hard to move forward? Are there habits in your life that are keeping you from becoming the new person and the new person that God wants for you to become. But here's what I know about you because I know it about me. When we find ourselves in that moment, it's much easier to try to self-fix than to ask God for his help. And somehow, and I just think it's our human nature, it's how we're wired, we just think, well, if I've done bad, then I've got to make it up in good. I've got to somehow redeem what I've done. 
I want to be in control and prove to myself that I can overcome that sin. That I can make all the wrongs right. And I can outweigh all my bad by starting to do a lot of good. But goodness does not replace bad. Forgiveness does. And I can't forgive myself, and you can't forgive yourself for the penalty of sin. No, only Jesus can forgive us our sin and take it away. But still inside, come on, I know this is true. Some of you, you still want to earn your way to God. You want to be your own savior. In fact, most people, if you ask them, do you believe you're going to go to heaven? A lot of them say, I'm not sure. And if you were to ask them, well, how do you think you're going to get to heaven? Most people that don't know Jesus say, I just hope I've done more good than bad. Aren't you glad that that is not the scale God operates with? No, because you're not good enough. And I'm not good enough. Only God is that good. It's his forgiveness. You see, your next, your next feeling, God not only forgives, or not only gives us forgiveness and mercy, but he wants to redeem our past to bring good out of it. And this is where the goodness of God takes it to a whole new level. Not only am I going to forgive you of your past, but I actually want to bring good out of it. To learn something maybe that you couldn't have learned any other way. To help others who are going through the same thing. To give you faith for the future that God will still forgive us and redeem it. God wants to bring good out of our bad. That's part of his goodness And here's what this word redeem means. If you look it up in the dictionary, this is what it means. To gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment. To gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment. That's what it means to redeem. And in the goodness of God, what you thought was lost because of your sin you can still regain possession of. Not because of a payment you will make, but because of a payment Jesus has already made. He's so good that even in our sin and even in our failure and even in our mistakes, he gives us his hand and says, come on, let me help pull you out. Because I have grace for you that you can't imagine. I have mercy for you that you can't imagine. And I want to redeem and bring good out of this bad. And I want to set you on a new path. Psalm 137. It says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. Why? For with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. Wow. You see, our sin actually causes us to lose hope, doesn't it? When we fail, we don't, 
boy, that's hard to manage the weight of all that. And yet this verse, if you can put it back up, it says, you need to have hope. Hope in the Lord, why? Because there's unfailing love. Unfailing, never failed, never given up on you and me. His love that permeates through it all. And on top of it, with him, is full redemption. He's willing to remove our sin and give us this brand new beginning, a new chapter that is not defined by sin anymore. Your story doesn't have to end with what mistakes you've made, but wants to bring about full redemption. And so your last fill-in, in our mess of sin, the goodness of God looks like forgiveness and redemption. It looks like forgiveness and redemption. Well, 1 John 1.8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, he says, come on, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short and we can't save ourselves. And if we confess our sins, however, our good Father is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What an incredible promise. And so it's exactly how we're going to finish today. And so would you mind just close your eyes all over this room? And maybe you're here, and maybe for the first time, you're going to confess your sin to God. Maybe for the first time, you're going to cross a line of faith to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I need your forgiveness. I receive your love. And you can say all of that. And then for the rest of us, even if it's been the thousandth time, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And we can confess it and say, Father, would you help me to walk in a brand new way and leave my life of sin? So between you and your heavenly Father, let's do that right now. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your unfailing love, for your faithfulness, even when we've been faithless. And in this moment, you have heard our confessions and we receive your grace and your mercy just like the woman standing in this story. We receive your love. We receive your grace. And now by your spirit, would you help us to live in a new way? To walk away from the patterns of sin that have so easily entangled us and kept us stuck. But may we find new life and a brand new chapter because of you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name.